Uh, wrath and God's consent. That should be fun, right? Uh, being a, a preacher of God's goodness, of God's grace, I uh, fairly often get asked about if people read the Bible, you're going to come up, reading the Bible is going to cause you to have a lot of questions, particularly if you read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, uh, in, in light of grace. And uh, so I thought I'd just tackle that today, easy subject, right? John 3.36, uh, of course, we were in John 3 uh, last week, and um, we addressed some things. This is still kind of the flow and picking up from where we left off, but the last verse, I believe it's the last one of that chapter, says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's not that the wrath of, is coming, it's already there, it's abiding already, it's present. When Jesus came, the, the wrath, and we'll talk about what that is, was there already. Uh, Romans 1 and 18, Paul talks about, and he uses this same word in uh, verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Just let me say while I read, read that verse, it does not say that the wrath of God is revealed against men. It's never against men. It's against unrighteousness and ungodliness, but not the men. In verse 22, it says, Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, they made idols. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Uh, I'm going to read one more. I'm going to read this again, but I'm going to read it out of the message translation. I know you don't have that probably. But uh, listen to me as I read from the message uh, translation, Romans 1.22. It says, they pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God, and they worshiped the God they made up instead of the God who made them. The God who bless, the God who blesses us. Oh yes, it says. And then it says, worse followed, refusing to know God. They soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. And then the next verse says they were sexually confused and they abused and defiled one another. Amen? You can be seated. Now, those are some pretty strong verses. And sometimes folks that preach grace kind of avoid some of those areas. But Paul in Romans 1, he just defined, if we, if we listen to what he said, Paul defined wrath as God giving you over to your own defiance. Um, it didn't say God gave up on them. 
he gave, the new King James said he gave, up, he gave them up to their own choices. Let me tell you, as we sung this morning in the songs, God will never, ever give up on you. Uh, so God's wrath is giving you over to your own defiance if we want to define it that way. And, and it, this is seen in people, for example, like that abuse, let's just say someone, we use this as an example, could be many things. So we're not picking on this, but people that abuse drugs. Uh, God, God, God would say to them, I don't want you to do that. I, I don't want you to abuse drugs. I don't want you to do that. Um, and, but they, they continue to abuse those drugs, thereby abusing their bodies, abusing people that love them, uh, possibly hurting people, killing someone if you drive like that. And, and God would say to them, don't do that. I, ha I have a better way. Uh, but they say, you know, back to God, so to speak, by them continually doing it, that I don't, I, I don't want your way. I want my way. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. So that scenario is lived out every day in this world by people. So, so what, what is God to do about that? What is this God to do about it? Should, should he handcuff them to a post? To prevent them from abusing drugs, should he just should he just incarcerate them or or, or, or you know uh, handcuff them? Should God force? Should he use his power to force them to obey him? And if God is love, can love ever really force a person to do anything? Because if you know, and that's why Christians run around saying like God's in control. Nobody would say you know I'm in love with my boyfriend. He controls me. And then you run around and say, God's in control. God controls everything. God's not in control. You're in control. God's in charge. He's, but, you know, you won't go, well, God's sovereign. That word's not even in the Bible. So don't push that one too much because you don't know maybe what it means. But, but, but can a God who is, who, is, who is love, can he force a person to obey him, can he control their, their behavior, their actions? Of course not. Because if God did that, then God would not be love. Uh, so Paul clearly in Romans defines wrath as God giving them over to their choices and their consequences. Now, I told you last week, and, and, and the whole theme of everything in the New Covenant with Jesus, with his preaching, is always, and Paul follows on with it, is that, that Jesus, that God in the flesh, Jesus came into this world and he came into our darkness. He came into our delusion to our world of darkness. And that darkness came when, when sin entered in and then therefore death by sin. So he comes into the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, he, he, he comes into our darkness and this is what the Bible teaches all through the New Testament. And first, I'm going to go fast on this because you're probably not going to be able to throw them up, but, but uh, 1 John 1 and 5 says, this is the message that we have heard, John said, from him, and we declare it to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That means God is totally, perfectly good all the time, forever, God's good, there's no darkness in him. There's not a little bit, God doesn't get mad one day, and then he's better, there's no darkness in God. Luke uh, um, Luke 1 and 79 says to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. 
that people are sitting in darkness. They're, they live in the shadow of death. And, but he says, Jesus has come to guide our feet to the way of peace. James 1 and 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And it says that this God, he's called the Father of lights. In him, there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's who God is. Now, now listen, God is light. And he never, ever, ever turns away from us. No matter what you've done, who you are, what you heard in church, God has not separated himself from you ever. He has never turned away from you. He has never forsaken you, nor, he has, nor has he ever abandoned you. God has always been there with you, pursuing you, loving you. The, the, that light of God, if God is light, and that's what I just read, God is light. That light then is love because God is love. And that light is grace because God is grace. Now, he doesn't turn from us, but listen, we turn from him. We turn from him. And, and God's not the one that hides from us. God, God's not the one that, that hid himself from Adam and Eve when they sinned. They're the ones that hid from God. God is the one that came looking for them. God didn't hide from them. God didn't separate from them. God left wherever he was and came to where they were. This is always the way it is with God. And, 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 and God's light, his light shines on us forever. And the Bible over and over says his mercy endures forever. And it says his loving kindness is everlasting. So if you turn, in other words, right here, you got these spotlights up here. You can't see them, but you can see the effect of them. But I'm facing those lights right now. But if, if I turn my back to the light, you can't see that, but I can. What did I just create right here? A shadow. I just created a shadow, darkness. And I, I created it by turning away from the light. A lot of people are living their life in the shadow, in darkness. And it's not that God created it, and it's not that God turned away from them. It's because they turned away from God. And, and by that turning, that shadow was created. What happens in the shadow? What happens in the shadow? Wrath. Wrath happens in that shadow. Now, we won't go there, but Ezekiel chapter 14 that prophet there, he talks about men tripping or stumbling over their idols, their own idols that they created. And, and, and in their, their tripping and stumbling over their own idols, eventually it will lead them to realize that they are not true, they are not real, and they'll turn back to God. Now, now let me tell you what God, who is love, does. Love, because of our free will, the way God made us in his image and likeness, love consents. And he allows the dignity of us making our own choices, even if they're wrong and hurtful. He allows us the dignity of bottoming it out, hitting the bottom, and eventually to turn to the light, not because he forced it, but willingly out of our own heart. And if you want to see that video movie played out, all you have to do is read the story, the parable, of the prodigal son. Now, in that story, God does not cause that younger son rebellion. He didn't cause his rebellion. 
God did not cause that younger son's alienation from his family, from his dad, from his brother. God did not cause that younger son's suffering that he was about to endure. God is not to blame for the consequences and the afflictions that that boy went through. He is. It was his choice. He made the decision to leave. Whatever pain, trauma, heartache, brokenness that he experienced when he squandered away his inheritance and then his fair-weather friends abandoned him, God did not cause not one bit of that. He did. He caused it. Listen, God did not punish him. Sin punished him. The darkness punished him. The wrath that is really not God's wrath, it's referred as God's wrath, but it's, it's the darkness that was created by that person by turning away from him. And so when that famine hit him and he didn't have enough to eat, he sat, he sat there and he found himself wallowing in a pig pen. God did not make the pig pen. God did not create the pig pen. He created the pig pen. He found himself there with hogs, manure in the air. He found himself hungry, so hungry that he was hungry enough to covet the corn cobs that the hogs had done eat the corn off of. He's sitting there in hog manure. God didn't do any of that to him. The son did it to himself. And then God simply never did, listen to the way I say this, he, God did not wrath him. God didn't pour out his wrath upon that boy. God didn't wrath him. But yet people would see that and say that, that that's the wrath of God. That's God's wrath. And, and yet the wrath of God, if you call it that, in the sense, now listen carefully, in the sense that Sin's consequences, in other words, the sins that that young son did, those sins led him willingly to desire to be back with his father. Did you hear what I said? So listen, so in other words, the stench of that manure, that pig manure in his nostrils eventually triggered a memory to the aroma that came from his father's kitchen. His nose, which is one of our five senses, it awakened the other senses. It, it, it's, it's like the, the sight of those corn cobs reminded him or triggered the memory of the banquet table that his daddy spread. The, the straw that, that he laid on and called his bed reminded him of his bed that he had at home. It reminded him of his pillow. It reminded him what it was like to sleep on clean sheets and a warm, cozy room on a cold night. Maybe that's what the Bible means in that parable when it said, and when he came to himself. I actually read one translation says when he came to his senses. His senses awakened, and, and it triggered something. And so, the, listen, the wrath of the pig pen served as 
as a pneumonia capsule. You know what I mean by that? I was a paramedic, so sometimes people would be unconscious. We'd pop an ammonia capsule and, you know, swab it under their nose to see if it would awaken them from their unconsciousness. The only time we ever used it is when we knew people were faking unconsciousness. Seriously, I never used it on somebody that we knew was unconscious because if they're really unconscious, it ain't going to awaken them. But we got called to a lot of junk as a paramedic. And so we would see them there and they'd be out like they're unconscious. Their eyes are just a flickering. They're putting on a show for the family. Or they're putting on a show for the police that's there to carry them to jail. They don't want to go to jail so they think they're going to ride with us. So we would say, watch this as we resurrect this person. <laughs> kind of mean, but we did it. We'd take an ammonia capsule. I don't know if you ever breathe one of them up close. But we would pop it right under and pop it and stick it right under the nose. And of course, then they try to go to mouth breathing. So we'd just put our hand. We'd say, just wait just a few seconds. And here they come up. Many times come up fighting. Well, they didn't like we, we blowed their little show. But all that that this young boy went through, it was kind of like the ammonia capsule, the smelling salts. It, it gave, at least it awakened him and for a moment gave him clarity to see things as they really are in his life. And, and, and so the wrath there, if you call it wrath, and because he's living in darkness that he created, but that wrath then all of a sudden is transformed by grace into his first step home. Isn't that something? See, and, and, and so therefore, the, the, this journey home, and there's people listening to me, there's some you, you you've been on a journey home. This journey home began in the wrath. It was the wrath that made you awaken. And this and say, this ain't living. This ain't life. And, 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 but, but the wrath could, could only, even though that's the journey, the first step home, the wrath could only be fulfilled in the love of the Father. In other words, what I'm saying, wrath didn't save him. God did. God redeemed that wrath. God redeemed the consequences of that sin, and, and, and it became the project of that young boy's salvation. Let, let me say it like this. God turned the effects of sin into the cause of salvation. Now, there's a lot of people I'm talking to in this room that when you made that decision, when you awakened, when, when, when you finally realized that, that you have turned from him and you need to turn to him, you, you didn't do it because everything was going well. You did it because you were sick of the pig pen that you created. Now, you can spend years in that pig pen. You can spend a lifetime in that darkness, and you can blame God, and you can blame everybody else. You can blame your mom and them, and you can blame your political reasons. You can blame your sociological reasons. You can blame economic reasons. You can blame the color of your skin, the color of your hair, the, 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 the sex you are. You can, you can just spend your life wasting it with all that. But the only thing will change is when you turn to the light. Now, listen to these verses. It, it says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And it says, He has shone, He has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, and that's in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. 
In other words, walk in that light. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awaken you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5, 5 says, You are all, everybody, whether you're lost or saved, whatever you, wherever, you, wherever you peg yourself, listen to me, you are included. You are all, not some of you, you are all sons of light, and you're all sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. I don't care what they told you. The Bible says you are all sons of the light. God created you to walk in the light, to live in the light. You're all sons of the light. You're not of the darkness. You're not a flawed person. You're not an accident. You're not an experiment. You're, you're God's kid. You've just turned away from the light and you've, you've created a shadow of darkness that you've been living in. 1 Peter 2, 9, this is what it says you are. They sung it today. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him, listen to this, who called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. You see the imagery here? So, so therefore the wrath is not the punishment of an angry, punishing, punitive, retributive God. But, but rather it is the natural, listen, the natural consequences that occur in the shadow that I cast when I turn my face away from the Father. When I turn away from the light, God's not doing it to you. God never desired that to be your portion. The, the sin, that thing that we call sin, the sin is actually us turning from the light. And we turn from the life of God. It says God is the light of the world. He's the life of God. And, and the shadow that I create is a shadow of death. The Bible talks about walking in the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it's talking about. And, and so, but, but as a shadow, what it does, listen to me, listen to this. Listen to me. The very fact that there is a shadow, a darkness in your life, is proof that the light is there. Because you can't have a shadow unless there's some light. The very fact that you're walking in, 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 in and your, your understanding has been darkened, the New Testament calls it. You've been alienated from the life of God, Paul said, by your understanding being darkened of, of who you are, how God made you to live. But that shadow reminds me that the light of life is still right there with me in the middle of my darkness. And that God is always right there with me shining his light on me. He's always facing me. He's always for me. He's waiting patiently for me. And he's committed to the long haul to wait until you wake up to the senses to turn from that and turn to him. Amen. Now let me tell you what religion does when they try to deal with somebody that's in darkness. They, they take various options. Religion says, well, why don't, you know, to, just deny it. Just to deny that it exists. Well, you can't deny the pain and that's going on in your life, your marriage, your, your, whatever. Or they try to teach you to cope with it, coping mechanisms. You're trying to cope with something that's, that's dark. Uh, they try to teach you to, to, to medicate it, or either you try to medicate it. That darkness, that pain, that, that isolation, then you try to 
drink away the pain or, or snort away the pain or whatever you do. You're trying to medicate that yourself. Or then the church comes along, some, and they'll say, well, what we need to do is punish it. Let's just, you know, they need to be punished. They need to pay for their sin. I thought Jesus paid for it. So what's happening in the shadow? What, what's happening is faith is calling out to you who is a person whose name is Jesus. And, and he's calling out to you to turn around. To, to see the light of God's life and to walk in it. That first verse I read to you out of John 3, it says if they, you know, that a person that don't believe this, they, they, don't, they don't see the light. They don't see life. In other words, he's saying they don't see life. It's not because God said, well, I'm going to kill them. And they won't never see life. It's saying that they've turned and they don't see the light. Therefore, they don't see life. They don't see hope. They don't see God. They, they've turned, turned away from him. And so really, the whole, the whole thing is that there really is no you take that sort of product, but that, that, there's no wrath of God there. But yet people would describe, that's just the wrath of God. That's just the wrath of God. R wrath is always, always, the wrath is always an effect of us turning from God. And, 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 and through God's, God is a redeeming genius. And, and, and through God's redeeming uh, love, uh, he, he can redeem that wrath. And, and he can, and, and, and you know what? I've seen so many people that if you talk to them, if you talk to particularly people that have been addicted to whatever they've been addicted to, they really will, when I've heard their testimonies, they really have a heart that says, I'm thankful for it. I, I, I'm glad I finally hit the bottom. Because if I hadn't hit the bottom, I never would have reached up and turned to the light. I'm glad for the pig pen, and I don't want to do it again, but I'm glad for the pig pen. The pig pen didn't save me, but it flat awakened me to a, to a father that, that loves me. And, and so, so God can redeem it so that, that that wrath is really for us. And when, and, and when we turn to the father, that makes the wrath really for him because all he ever wanted for you is to come home to him. And he wanted you to come willingly. And God's not a dictator. And God doesn't shove people around. And he doesn't force people. And he doesn't control people. That's why you have the ability in this world to choose your actions, what you're going to do. Christians erroneously always run around and say, God's in control. And what they mean by that is every event, that's how I was raised in the, in the Christian so-called culture that I was around. And I don't mean this angrily. They were just ignorantly. We were all ignorant. We were ignorant of God's goodness and of God's grace. I told you I grew up in a church that I, in over a decade of being there, I never heard one single message on the grace of God. And yet the Bible says we're saved by grace. Imagine that. You spend a decade, 10 years in a church and never hear one message entitled, I'm going to preach today about the grace of God. And when I heard the word grace ever even alluded to, it was always in a negative connotation. Well, don't think you're going to get by on this greasy grace. You know, and don't, you know, abusing the grace of God. There was always threats. There was always a hammer. There was always a whip trying to keep you in line, which is fear. 
But perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear hath punishment. That's what it says. Torment. Punishment. With God, there's no punishment. God is not the punisher. God's not the punisher. Sin punishes us on its own. The Bible always says in several places, it says that men grope about for God, even though he is not far from them. They grope about in darkness. It says, the, the prophet said, that they grope about at midday as men that do not see. And yet the light is all around them. When the apostle Paul was killing Christians in the name of God, and he was on the road to Damascus, God didn't come as the punisher. God didn't come like I heard preachers preach all my life, that God came and, and punched him off his horse, knocked him off his horse, knocked him to the ground. He hit him so hard he couldn't see. Knockout punch. And he's laying there whimpering. And that powerful punishing God standing there with vengeance. He done punched him off his horse. That's not what it says. How many heard it preached like that besides me? Hands all over. Let's just see what it says. I'm going to turn there. But what it says in Acts is that Paul was on that journey and a great light shone. <laughs> what am I preaching about? Because that brother's in darkness. He's in darkness. He's in the darkest darkness that a person ever goes into. And that's not drugs and that's not alcoholism and that's not sexual sins. The darkest darkness that a person ever goes to is the darkness of religion. Because they think they need no help. That is why that other son, the prodigal son's brother, the older brother, the story, the parable, starts and ends with him still not turned to the face of the father. He, he never turned his face to the father because he was so caught up in his own self-righteousness and what he thought he had earned and what he deserved. And even though the party went on and the father, it says the older brother would not come in Here's God being God. So it says the father came out to him. He came out and loved on him. He came out and said, son, everything I have is always yours. Come into the party. He would not do it. Religious people are the meanest people I've ever dealt with. I met with one a few weeks ago. I told my wife, I said, that woman is the meanest. Nobody in church here was in my Medicare business, though. Don't try to figure out. No church folk. But she really touted her religious position and her love of God. And, you know, she made that very clear to me. But she was the rudest, one of the meanest people that I've seen. So unhappy. Because that kind of religion of self-righteousness, you're, you're, them dogs are hounding you every day, pointing out that you are not righteous. Do you know that whatever God asks you for, he gives you? So whatever God demands, he furnishes. So what does God demand for you to go to heaven? Perfection. What does God do? He perfects the spirits of all men. It says he demands holiness without which nobody will ever even see God. And so what does God do? He gives you his holiness. God commands that you be righteous even as he is righteous, as righteous as he is. How would we ever achieve that on our own? So what does God do? He gives you his righteousness. And now you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus because God made you righteous. 
When they sung this morning they, in one of the songs it mentioned about while we were enemies of God. You need to read that verse because a lot of Christians read that, that, that we were God's enemies. That is not what the verse says, nor is it what it teaches. And that is not in harmony with the New Testament. It says when we saw God, this means what it means. When we saw God as our enemy, what do you do from your enemies? You do the same thing Adam and Eve did. You hide from them. You don't want to be around them. You don't want to relate to them. They're your enemy. You distance yourself from your enemy. You know you got people that you consider your enemy. You don't hang out with them. You ain't going to go to the movies with them. You ain't going to eat no hamburger with them after church today. Because you consider them your enemy. We considered God our enemy. But while we were yet enemies, God reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. While we were enemies. God said, you see me as an enemy. I'm not your enemy. That's a false God you've made up in your own vain, darkened imagination. Man, God is so good. And I spend my life trying to tell you guys that. And there's always somebody that's hearing it for the first time. And it does, when, you, when it strikes your heart, it's like, this is this guy here, man. This is too, it's too good here. And like Johanna, Johanna said it so well today, man. She was so articulate. People will fight you, condemn you, send evil, ugly messages to you to defend their angry, punitive, punishing God. They'll, they'll do it. And, uh, but th there is no wrath like the way men think of wrath. They think of wrath in the American word like, you know, wrath means that responding with anger and violence. And uh, that's, who I thought, that's who I thought God was. But the word wrath in the Greek is, is a word that's is the Greek, you pronounce it orge, orge. And, and what that word means is justifiable hatred. But that, that, that wrath that you want to consider wrath of God, it is not against a person. God never comes with violence and wrath against a person. God has justifiable hatred. My mother-in-law has a horrible, horrific disease called cancer. Every six weeks for most of this whole year, we've gone to Grand Saline, Texas to be there with her. Jeannie has gone numerous times. Her other family, we've tried to be there. Be there for her and for her, my, my father-in-law. And when I see, as I go every six weeks, I see what it has done in just a six weeks window to her body, to her frailty, to her abilities. When we were there the last time, we tried to go out to eat. We did get to take a little picture. We did get to sit on and order our food, but that was it. The pain doubled her over from that horrific disease called cancer. I have a justifiable hatred for cancer. I love the person that that cancer's in. I love her. And my hatred is never aimed at her, but it's aimed at what's hurting her. That's the way Father is about what's hurting his kids. That thing called sin. That thing called darkness. That thing called your delusion and how you see him and how you see yourself and you see others. God never hates you. He's never after you. 
But he will come sometimes as a consuming fire to burn out that wood, hay, and stubble in you. And sometimes it's a journey, and sometimes it's long, and sometimes it's painful. But he is never after you. I've had doctors cut things out of me. I've had splinters. I've had things to have where they had to do something to help me that was painful to me. Some of us in this room, ain't we? We've had open heart surgery. I don't want to do that again. Johanna's had several of us. You know, as far as this old boy, that was the worst I've ever had to experience, and I had to get it twice. Once to put in a new valve, they had to get it again about 12 hours later to save my life because they cut things they weren't supposed to cut. <laughs> and unknowingly, I was bleeding out. And I came so close to death. I really did. I didn't know I was about to die. I'm unconscious. <laughs> but they called my wife and said, you got to get back to the hospital. That We're going to have to take him back and open him up again. Something's wrong. He's losing blood. And they, in this process of the open heart surgery, aortic valve replacement, they nicked an artery accidentally. They were kind, though. They said they weren't going to charge me for the second open heart surgery. <laughs> they really did. Uh, they mistakenly sent me a bill for it. <laughs> of course, me being, you know, a little knowledgeable in insurance, I called them. And I said, oh, oh, just forget. What, that, that shouldn't have went out. We're not going to charge you for that one. And I'm like, I'm not going to sue you for nicking that order either, though, but you could better get this off my bill. I remember when I did wake up, a new, a new cardiac surgeon came in that I never saw. He come in, he said, I just want to stop by and check on you this morning, shake your hand. He said, I'm the surgeon that saved your life last night. Isn't that weird for a guy to tell you that? <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, it's a pleasure to meet you. Praise God. You know what I say. But there was a lot of pain involved. But the result of that has been far better in my life. I can actually walk up these steps now and not go into atrial fibrillation. Johanna knows I've stood here a couple times in this pulpit in AFib tacking out at 180 because my watch monitors it. I remember one Wednesday night I looked at my watch and I was 190 per 190 beats. And I tried to just, she knows me so well, Johanna did, she knew I was in atrial fib. Most of you didn't. I faked it and got out of here. I don't like living like that. That's called living in darkness and in pain and things are not right. That's not life abundant. I couldn't enjoy life. If I saw stairs, I'd go panic. Really? I don't know how many times we were down on vacation with the grandkids in Orlando. I saw some steps go up to where we had to walk. I walked up them steps when the nature field didn't, baby. Then I lay in bed 12 hours trying to get it to convert back. That's not a quality of life. So I gladly endured the pain, even though I resisted it, but for the healing that came, therefore, after. Now, sometimes you're on a journey, and there's things that's going on in this journey that's causing pain, and it's not pleasant. But I want to tell you that redeeming genius is pursuing you, and he will never. What, what, what he did in Romans 1 to those people is he gave them over to their choices, well, this is how we're going to live, and we're not listening to you, and we're going to live this way. So God never gave up on those people in Romans 1. He didn't condemn them to death or nothing. He just said, okay, because you have your choice. I, I, you're not a robot. I can't force you because love don't force. So I gave them up 
to their decision, their consequences. And God, with tears in his eyes, he gave them to that. In hopes that like that prodigal son, the smell and the stench of that pig pen and the pain of no bed and the pain of no food will eventually cause them to awaken and realize that they're living in a shadow. It's called the shadow of death. And that they will turn and face the life of light, which is God. And they will embrace that light and they will walk in that light and they will revel in that light and they'll live in that light. And the Bible says that he that walks in that light, there's no darkness. He has fellowship with no darkness. He, he has fellowship with him whose life and light. That's God. That's some good news right there. Do you receive it today? Would you stand with me? Is it okay if I quit at 10.50 or 11.50? What time is it? I don't even know. That's why y'all can beat the Baptist to get the, the chicken. I get y'all out ahead of them today. I like to laugh. Y'all can tell that. Hey, listen. Wednesday night, please come. Uh, Boss Callaway is going to help me. We're just going to we're, we're going to take questions from you. Okay. Um, we, we're going. I'm going to introduce a subject Wednesday night. Really, it's kind of flowing off of this. But I had somebody, you know, some time ago, and, and, it's, and it's in line of what we're talking about. But I'm going to talk to you about the flood, Noah's flood. And uh, because a lot of people see that as nothing but hardcore wrath of God killing a bunch of people. And I'm going to show you that's not what happened at all. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's going to be pretty fun, I hope. Do you know that every people on the planet, people groups in ancient world, have a flood story? Spend Sunday afternoon Googling it. You'll find that to be so true. Everybody, every, per, every group of people, every nationality or group of people on earth, that their ancient ancestors, everyone has their own flood story. And I'll tell you why. And there's every one of them, of every flood story, other than the flood story of the Jews, is different. And the rest of them all coincide. You know, one of the most famous flood stories says that that the gods, plural, did not like noisy people. Therefore, they decided to kill all the noisy people and to just eradicate them because they didn't like I'm, I'm serious. Didn't that sound silly? Noisy people. When you look at all the religions of the world and you look at what people believe and what they think is saving their soul, and I'm talking about people that are CEOs of companies. I'm talking about people that are very successful. I'm talking about people that make six and seven or eight figures a year. I'm talking about very, very smart, worldly people. But that in their religion, they believe the dumbest stuff that I don't even, can't even muster the faith to believe what they believe. And yet they won't tell me they don't believe in my God. Well, when I see this watch laying around, and if I walk by and saw this Apple watch laying there, one thing, I may not know a lot about it, but one thing I know, it had a creator. And I also know, secondly, it had a purpose and a reason for being there. There ain't no whirlwind come through a junkyard and then all of a sudden the wind blew in a 747 airline that's sitting there ready to fly. 
It took intelligent creation to make that happen. And this world, if it was just a few degrees turned one way or the other, there would be no planet and no life on it. We don't like a lot of things that happen in this world, but like the tectonic plates that causes earthquakes. If you didn't have those, we couldn't exist on this planet. God don't want there to be people hurt and killed. And like, but, there's, but there's things, there's natural laws that work here so that we can have a planet that is inhabitable. And what God said in Genesis is all of a sudden, this place that I created, and when it said that God said it was very good, it meant that it's very inhabitable. It's very, it's very pleasant for humans. But when it said that God beheld and, and the whole thing was corrupted and it grieved him, the writer said, it says because the planet has now become in, uninhabitable. It, you, you, it can't support life any longer. So I've got to, I, I can't let humans go extinct. Because I promised them in Genesis that there was a seed of a woman coming that would eradicate this darkness. God is a God who not only wants to deliver you from the consequences of sin, but God is a God that wants to deliver you from sin itself. To deliver you only from consequences is to say that the doctor opens the window and throws out the medicine while the man is still laying sick in the bed. God won't do that. God's not after the consequences only of sin in your life. He's after that entity, that thing, that noun, that, that horrible thing called sin, which is darkness personified. Amen? That's going to be pretty cool when it's tonight. Now, don't you miss it. Okay? Love you guys. I'm going to be up here. My elders are here. Pastor Callaway, we've got different... We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. We're always open to, to pray with you about anything. Pray for healing. We believe God's our, we know God's our healer. We, so whatever you're going through, and if you need prayer, I'm going to dismiss the church. And, and, but if you want prayer for anything, just come up here, okay? Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Love you guys. God bless you.